This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. And my guest this week is Therese Steiner. Therese is the Director of Strategy and Operational Effectiveness and Global Success at LexisNexis. Welcome to the podcast, Therese. Hi, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I try to find a, a little tidbit that some people might not know about my guests and, and have heard all sorts of things of like uh, um, um, people that have played hockey, people that have met Michael Jordan and delivered pizza to him. Um, all sorts of craziness, but um, tell me and, and my guest, what's maybe one thing that people might not know about you? Well, Nick, uh, I think one thing people might not know about me, uh, several years ago, I competed and made it to the national finalist round of the Stella Artois Draftmaster competition. It's <laughs> basically a competition to pour beer following specific prescribed steps. And, and apparently I was good at that. So definitely that, most people don't know that. That is pretty cool. And so there's, um, from what you had told me prior, was there's a, a local and then there's a, a regional and then there's national and then there's kind of worlds, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Um, yep. And so did, um, you know, the question that I, I hadn't asked you prior is, did somebody, did you order a Stella Artois um, at a bar one time and all of a sudden somebody's like, wow, you really pour one heck of a beer. You should probably get in this competition. <laughs> Not quite how it came about. Uh, no, it was a, a group of, of women from work. We were out together one night and we had no idea this competition was going on or that it even existed. Yeah. Uh, we had all just gone out to a bar one evening uh, for a little bit of a night out. Mm -hmm. And it just happened that they were running this competition locally at the bar that evening, the first round of it. And they asked us if we want to participate. Um, and they said, well, if you participate, you get uh, a free glass of beer. So we said, sure, why would we not? <laughs> it was a free competition and they're giving us free beer. Sure. Um, so they showed us the steps and we did it. And there was actually three of us from the group. Um, who did well and made it to the next round. Um, and then at the Dayton area round, which was after that, I went head to head against one of my coworkers actually to, to win that round. So a lot of fun. That's awesome. And um, did you have, is there a trophy of sorts that you won at the <laughs> regional level? There, there is. I have a very large trophy. I'll have to send you a picture of it sometime. It's about, oh, two, two to three feet tall probably that is a giant glass Stella Artois chalice on a wooden pedestal. It's quite impressive. <laughs> so, so what I would do if I were you and maybe you want to get your perspective on what you actually do, but um, I would take that to every happy hour that I went to and just ask them to fill it up and say, hey, don't worry, I know how to pour it, but just pour it into this trophy. I think that that would get me hopefully a lot of free beer. So yeah, <laughs> wonderful idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that before. <laughs> so um, 
you actually started off by going to law school at uh, University of Dayton. And so how did you transition from going to um, getting your law degree to customer service? Yeah, um, well, so I found when I went to law school, it's interesting. Uh, there were many people in law school who um, kind of always wanted to be lawyers. Uh, lots of, you know, their family were lawyers, their dad was a lawyer, they wanted to follow in their footsteps, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think for me, law school was a bit of an exploration to begin with. Um, I had never thought about being a lawyer before law school. Mm. Um, during undergraduate, I had interned for a semester at the district attorney's office in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is what made me think about giving law school a try. Um, and I had made a deal with myself that when I took the LSAT, if I scored well and, and qualified for a scholarship that would afford me the law degree that I would go to law school. Mm. So when I went, it wasn't necessarily to become a lawyer. Um, and once I got there, I started working actually at LexisNexis during the, the school breaks at the same time and found that I enjoyed the work I was doing more than the, the law school. Um, so when I graduated, I took a job um, in customer service at Lexus. I was working a second shift schedule at the time, and that allowed me to do some intern work at a small law firm in the mornings. So I kind of get a feel for, for both types mm -hmm. of, of careers. And really the Lexus one is the one that stuck better with me. Um, the customer service had a lot more uh, complexity and learning to it than what I expected. There yeah. were more career growth opportunities and really that continuous learning cycle that uh, has, has been going on for, for over 20 years in my career at Lexus uh, definitely won out over the, the billable hours at the law firm. So wow. uh, struck my interest much more and enjoyed it much more. Than, than anything in, in law. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's interesting on how that transition happened. Um, before we get to the main topic, I wanted to talk about, um, you know, that you recently wrote a book. Um, can you tell us more about what, what the book is called and uh, what's in the book? Sure. Um, the book is called F Notes, Facilitation for Quality. Um, and it actually releases next month. Uh, I believe it'll hit the the bookstores in uh, late, mid to late September. And, and it's really a book I co-wrote with a colleague and friend of mine, Tracy Owens. Um, I had met Tracy when he started working at LexisNexis as well several years ago. And uh, he's a Six Sigma master black belt. And, and really he had written a few different books in the quality profession and um, is, is someone who I admire quite a bit and has been very inspirational to me in my career. And uh, he had the idea of writing a book about um, how to facilitate good uh, workshops around continuous improvement and invited me to, to write it along with him. So mm -hmm. we, we co-wrote it. Um, and it's really all about taking the skills and the theories that you may get through a formal education program and in, in Lean and Six Sigma and continuous improvement and applying those practically into real world contexts. Mm -hmm. um, so really taking that and, and really running successful workshops, successful projects, leveraging a variety of, of tools and tips and so forth. Um, with the book coming out this year, as we uh, are amidst the COVID pandemic, uh, we also included a number of tips on how to uh, facilitate events from a, from a virtual perspective as well, and try to continue the, that continuous improvement cycle virtually as well as in person. Yeah, that's uh, sounds like an interesting book. I, I look forward to getting a copy of that. Uh, which is why I want to kind of kind of continue the conversation more on the continuous improvement side and 
uh, talk about how using customer journeys, um, how can you use customer journeys to drive continuous improvement? So, um, you know, how do, how do we go about starting a customer journey map? Yeah. So, I mean, customer journeys is definitely kind of a fundamental when you're, when you're a customer experience professional, right? Um, I come at it from a little bit of a different angle than some. My, my context comes from Lean and Six Sigma and business process management. And so applying that into a customer experience role, I take a very process-oriented approach when I talk about customer journeys. So the starting point um, for, for me, and as well as I think for really anybody who's customer um, is really in looking for pain points and problem areas. So where do you see customer complaints arise? What drives volume into your contact center? Uh, where do you fail to resolve a customer issue on first contact? If we really start with that customer orientation first and where the customer is experiencing pain or experiencing issues, that's really that voice of the customer that's the, the best starting place for a customer journey. Mm, yeah, so understanding a lot of where those pain points are is, is definitely key. So how do you go about completing? So you, you, you know how to start it. Uh, that the easy part is, is starting it or, or admitting that you need to figure out how to build this journey map. But how do you go about completing the, the whole customer journey? What does that look yeah. like? Yeah. For journey mapping, we want to walk the customer's experience as closely as possible. If you can interact directly with your customers, that's, that's great. That's perfect. A lot of times you can't. Um, and then you really have to consider what your listening posts are. What are the ways that you can look at customer data and get as close to the Gemba of the customers as you possibly can? So may, you may read customer survey comments, um, definitely talk to people in the front lines who interact directly with customers and really analyze all the data that shows up and all the data that shows how you interact with customers, how they interact with products, services, and people. So really before I put pen to paper, so to speak, in mapping the customer journey, mm -hmm. first I'm going out and talking with as many people as I can internally, externally, to find out what are those experiences. And then I'm looking at as much data as I can on, on really informing me what that customer journey is. Once I've gathered all of those inputs, that's when I can sit down, look mm -hmm. across all the different inputs I've gathered and create a visual map of what the customer's experience is. Um, and then really bring it back to the, the team of people that I've talked with across the journey, uh, the journey of creating the journey, um, and, mm -hmm. and show them the map and talk about it and see what things I've, I've missed or gotten, gotten wrong and, you know, really make sure that that map resonates um, with, with really what the journey is. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's so important to kind of go through that and look at that, the, the data points um, throughout the entire journey. But um, so let's say that um, my listeners have um, understood the journey. They've started the journey, they've completed the journey. And now they're like, uh Oh, um, I'm kind of stuck. So what happens after you map the journey of the customer? Yep. Um, for me, I usually have a, a journey mapping improvement workshop at that point where I bring together the, the key subject matter experts and decision makers who influence the journey. And then that's when we really start analyzing the journey. So one of the layers we're looking for are the moments of truth, the, mm -hmm. the make or break moments, the things that um, if we do well in the journey, that that secures that customer as a loyal customer or the things that if we do poorly, we're really at risk of, of losing the customer. It's tempting for some people at that point to call everything a moment of truth, mm -hmm. because in, in theory, at any given interaction point, you could lose the customer. 
but what is that bulk of data showing us? What is the, the, the things our customers really are experiencing? Um, where are we losing them? Um, or where are we really gaining their loyalty? Um, so knowing the moments of truth are the, are knowing, is knowing kind of where we need to be at our best. Um, and that can be one of the ways to prioritize how to improve the journeys. If a moment of truth is also a pain point, clearly that's something we need to dive in and, and work on right away. So that's kind of one of the layers of analyzing the journey. The other thing I do, again, coming from a Lean and Six Sigma background, is I like to think about the, the eight wastes that are concepts from Lean mm -hmm. and use that as a lens to analyze the journey. So for example, one of the wastes is waiting. So I think, okay, if, if waiting is a waste, downtime is a waste, where are there places in the customer journey where the customer is required to wait for that next step to occur? Where are we introducing waiting for the customer? Um, and then go through those eight wastes and, and ask about them. So where are we making the customer go through extra steps or extra effort to accomplish their goal? Uh, where are their defects in what we deliver to the customer and so on. And, and you can Google the eight lead wastes and, and really go through um, in kind of a Socratic method if you're in a workshop and ask those driving questions of how are we introducing those wastes to the customer? How are we making them experience those wastes? And then those are things to, to look at for, for continuous improvement in that journey. Um, the, the other piece we do to analyze the journey is focusing on the moments of truth and the waste areas and, and you know, where, what are the things that are really going really well? What are the things that are not going so well? Um, you need to turn and, and after you've mapped that, that outside view, map the inside view, the, the ecosystem or the environment. So literally below the line of the customer journey map, I then also do process maps of what are all the internal processes and systems that are the things that impact and deliver that experience that the customer is seeing in their journey. So it's the things that are invisible to the customer, but are the things that are the levers that organization can, can influence and control so that the above the line that directly impacts the customer creates a better experience. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And, and the one thing that you had mentioned was um, the, the tough part uh, of building this journey is, is what it sounds like from me and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but um, everybody's going to have an opinion about what is the biggest pain points and it's the perception of them without data. Right. And, and um, that could get dangerous if that's not what is right for the customer or finding ways to prioritize the, the pain points. But um, is that the best way from your perspective to prioritize the pain points is to do it based off of data or um, what else, what other recommendations would you have? Yeah. As data driven as we can be. Right. Um, and, and when we're looking at the prioritization, um, what you want to be careful of, yeah, is that we're not just prioritizing something because it was the loudest pain point of the person in the room during yeah. a workshop. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the, the danger in, in this is that, uh, someone will come in with an agenda into a workshop to fix pain points that are maybe their internal pain points within their functional area, mm -hmm. as opposed to what are the things that are most critical to the customer. So looking at data, but looking at it from that outside in perspective, right? Looking at what is the data showing us? What's the voice of the customer? What is the data showing us as the, 
the biggest areas that are impacts to customers. And then there is the operational impact, of course. So a lot of times we'll create a matrix, right, of what are the biggest pain points, the make or break moments, the moments of truth, but then also where are the things that we can get wins? What are the, what are the quick wins? What are the things that we can achieve on, right? And so it might be prioritizing, depending on the scenario, it might be important to prioritize something that's a little less impactful to a customer, but that we can really make a quick win on and achieve and get momentum off of and get buy-in across the organization into it and say, okay, here's, here's something that we can really make a difference on. Get a couple of quick wins, advertise them, you know, talk about them, and then start tackling some of the larger things. Um, if you're in a scenario where you already have that buy-in um, and maybe don't have to prove the concept so much, then definitely going after the, the most impactful things to a customer from a data-driven perspective, the things that are most impactful to customers are the, the right prioritization points and then mm. kind of working through the matrix from there. But it really depends on your starting point, right? Do you have to kind of prove the concept um, and make some quick wins? Is that really critical to, to really get the, the biggest bang for the buck by making the quick wins first? Or, yeah. or is it more of a scenario where you can dive right in and, and tackle the, you know, the, the big gnarly things for the customer? Right. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's also kind of uh, the, the X, Y axis. What has the biggest amount of, um, what's the biggest amount of cost or the least amount right. of cost with the biggest amount of effort uh, that can reduce that friction uh, for the customer. But, you know, kind of, you, you touched on it a little bit, but you're talking about, um, you know, buy-in. How do, how do people get buy-in? And, and for that matter, so you built this, you built this journey, you understand the customers, you understand now the, the pain points, you talked about little quick wins. Um, and maybe that's a, maybe that's the answer to my question, but how do you get buy-in and then budget from that buy-in um, from, from leadership? And then how do you take action on that plan? Yeah. So there, yeah. there was, a, there was like five questions inside that question. So good luck. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I think um, as, as real and tangible and close to the, customer as we can get the better. And from that, what I mean is um, to get buy-in from the stakeholder, if I can make that stakeholder feel the pain of the customer and really understand it and also how it impacts us internally and what the business is, then, then they'll come along with it. So that's why I think it's important to do kind of never journey map alone, right? You don't, don't go, don't go journey mapping alone in a vacuum mm -hmm. to bring a workshop of people along with it and work it as a cross-functional effort. Um, so that the people who are, who, the people whose, whose buy-in we need in order to invest in making the improvements are there at the table, hearing the pain points of the customer making it real to them and are also engaged in the problem solving mm -hmm. so that I'm not coming back with a bunch of things I want to change and influence and delivering it as an output to the stakeholders. They're really engaged in the problem solving itself in, in an ideal way. Um, if they're engaged in the problem solving, then they have a stake in making mm -hmm. sure that those solutions that they've stacked hands on um, are then actually implemented right? Because they're, they're part of the process. It's not change happening to them or a request that's coming to them. They're actually part of the process itself mm -hmm. and, you know, really giving them ownership of some of the actions. So coming out of a customer journey workshop, I may have a list of prioritized actions and improvements that we want to implement. And, you know, 
really people from within that workshop are then owners of those action items. It's not me as the customer experience professional in the room who's taking ownership of making all those things happen. It's all of the individuals involved in the workshop in their functional areas who actually have direct ownership then in making that happen and are invested in it from the start. Um, of course, if you could show the ROI in a, in a dollars and cents way, that's, that's going to be the, the easiest way to get budget and buy-in, right? But a lot of times in customer experience world, um, it's a little hard to show that tangible dollars and cents ROI. Uh, we might be able to show the impact to customer satisfaction or to first contact resolution um, or to NPS, um, but then making that, that leap into the bottom line financials can be challenging. So as much as possible, do the legwork and show, show that dollar impact. If we do this, we're going to improve NPS. If we improve NPS and increase loyalty, our, our cost of sales will go down, our retention will go up, and here's the, the analysis to show that. If you can do that, that's obviously incredibly powerful, uh, but that definitely is a, is a challenge to sometimes make all those connections. So, so tying people into it, and making them accountable and having them have ownership of the improvement instead of it being something that the customer experience team is running off on the side as ingrained as the function as it can be is, is the, the, the best way to get the most success. So yeah. I've, I've given you five answers to your five questions. Hopefully. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, when it comes to that though, um, you know, we talked about the, the budget and buy-in um, is there KPIs um, to measure upon a project success of, around a journey map or, or is it, you know, like you said, the one thing that you, I did want to uh, touch on from the last question was, you know, if you're, if you're doing all those things and you have the success and you're reducing, uh, increasing loyalty, which reduces, you know, customer churn, you know, showing that long-term value is the, is the customer lifetime value. Uh, but you can't say, Hey, uh, when we improve this journey map, we're going to, you know, here's our now our total cost of our customer lifetime value. You have to show that over time, which why you need those those quick wins. But um, in that meantime, um, how do you measure the success of the project? Uh, maybe some key performance indicators. Yeah. So um, at the outset of the project, uh, and talking about customer journey mapping as a project, um, first I do lay out a charter for it. And I make sure that those involved, both the, the um, stakeholders, the SMEs, the people in the workshop, as well as any champion that, that is really sponsoring the effort, um, make sure that they're aligned on that charter. And within that charter, we're defining, you know, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What's the scope that's, that's uh, critical for this effort? What's in scope, what's out of scope? But also how will we measure success? So that we know at the outset, what that measurements are going to be. Um, and depending on the scenario, it could be things that are um, survey related, customer satisfaction, NPS, that sort of thing. Um, it could be things like a, a cycle time improvement, how long it takes us to uh, deliver something to a customer possibly. Um, it could be a, a revenue or a cost impact, but mm -hmm. defining those metrics at the outset and showing what the baseline is for comparison um, is really important to, to begin with. And then everyone knows what they're going to be, what they're going to be accountable for, and then making sure that you have a baseline for it and then measuring, you know, as, as you go. So, so that's one aspect. And then probably from a less quantitative perspective and more from a qualitative perspective, 
one of the ways to measure success is to make sure that you're capturing um, the changes that have been implemented and celebrating those along the way. And, you know, I talked about kind of the quick wins and gaining momentum from them. So making sure that you have a, a documented path of here's the improvements we're going to deliver. Here's we're going to deliver them. Here's the schedule that we actually have achieved them at. And so you're measuring success by saying, did I, did I actually deliver the thing that I said I was going to deliver? Did I do it on time? Yeah. And then was there a quantifiable impact from it? Um, but even if there's not, making sure that you're celebrating the, the improvement along the way, if that makes sense. No, I, um, I think that it's definitely important, though, because not just to celebrate it with the people that are doing it with you, but cele celebrating it of how it impacts everybody else and showing the people yeah. who are, you know, uh, um, employees, peers and leaders and saying, here's what we're doing. Here's what we said we were going to do. Here's how we said we we're going to do it. A and we are on time and under budget uh, or whatever that is, but be transparent about that experience because that from my perspective is how you get more buy-in. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and really I do try to have both qualitative and quantitative measures for success. So one of the really simple ways of measure success of the, of the workshop at least is to say, I'm going to come out of the workshop with an agreed upon journey map. We're going to know what the current state is and we're going to know where we're headed what the aspirational future state is. Mm -hmm. Just having that visual and having stacked hands on it and having a prioritized list of improvements, that's a success in and of itself a lot of times. Getting everyone to the table cross-functionally to see what that journey is and being able to describe it, see it, view it, stack hands and agree that this is what the customer is experiencing and here's how we're going to modify that and fix it, improve it, you know, create a continuous improvement cycle around it. That in and of itself is a, is a win and a benefit from the, from the project. But then yes, you have to follow through and actually deliver, deliver the improvements as well. Yeah. So um, I, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Um, and, and the first question is uh, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second question is, is if you could leave a note to all the customer service professionals and it could reach everybody, Therese, what would it say? Okay. So uh, for, the, for the book, I actually just started reading the book. I'm not very deep into it yet, but I'm kind of excited about it. It's a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And um, for myself, I'm never sure if I'm being too tactical. I always feel like I should be more strategic strategies in, in my job title. I should be more strategic. How do I get more strategic? And there's a lot of buzzwords around that. And so this book, from what I've read in it so far, it really kind of cuts through that BS and gets right to the heart of things, which are buzzwords in and of themselves. There you go. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, so far that's been a, a awesome read and I can't wait to see where it, where it heads me down, what paths I go from there. Um, but that's a, a, a book I definitely recommend. Um, as far as leaving a note to all customer service professionals, it's the, the easy question, right, Nick? Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think I would say to the customer service team, um, individually, you individually make a difference. You know, you never know when you're on a phone call or a chat session or you're, whatever channel of support you're delivering or whatever kind of interaction you're having with a customer, you don't know who really it is on the other end of the line. Um, and, and to remember that that person's a human being just yeah. like you are, and you don't know what they're dealing with, what context they're coming from, what their background is, what their perspective is. And so just, you know, when we're interacting in customer service, 
remember that you're interacting with other human beings and remember to be human and, and really just to uh, interact the, the way you would want them to interact with you. Uh, and then lastly, I would say to all customer service professionals that they need to make sure that they listen to press one for Nick whenever <laughs> you can. Nice. Nice. I did not pay her to say that. So uh, <laughs> He our, did. He paid me. <laughs> <laughs> I paid her one really sweet Stella Artois trophy uh, that I, I, I now have to promise to give her uh, a beer full of that uh, trophy cup. So, um, Therese, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to connect with you? Um, probably through LinkedIn. Uh, I think you can share my LinkedIn profile, but it's a uh, Therese Steiner JD. I think. Yep. And it's Therese, T-H-E-R-E-S-E. And then Steiner is S-T-E-I-N-E-R and then J-D at the end of that. So I think if you just type in Therese Steiner um, on the search and look for um, a Therese Steiner that has uh, works at LexisNexis, uh, that should work. But uh, that should Therese, do it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And I look forward to keeping in touch and learn more about uh, grabbing, grabbing that book and, and uh, digesting it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.